My name is Phaedra Aldridge. Welcome to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a podcast brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society, otherwise known as BCSS, as well as our BC partner organizations. When a person hears the term schizophrenia, they typically feel fear. Fear of the unknown, fear that a person is out of control, and fear that a person with schizophrenia is going to become violent. The truth is that this is possible if a person's mental illness is left untreated, but it's far more likely directed at themselves rather than family members, friends, or the society at large. On today's episode of Look Again, we'll be hearing firsthand from people who have grappled with the issue of violence in relation to mental illness. I, I did attack someone on the street. I hate to be, I hate to perpetuate the stereotype and like perpetuate the stigma, but um, I, I did actually attack someone on the street and I put just some random person who, and I, I wouldn't have done that if I didn't have schizophrenia. I have four sons, three of whom have schizophrenia. Two of them, there's been violence involved. One has tried to kill me, has been in the criminal justice system. The worst uh, incidences were once again before he was diagnosed, when he was deep, deep in psychosis. He told me that his psychosis was a porthole, uh, kind of up in, up in the sky, and, and it would open up, and then spirits would come down through it. And they were not good spirits. And he had, he, you know, did Taekwondo and martial arts, and he was very good at it. He was highly athletic. He would, he would bluff like a gorilla. He would charge and bluff, but he, he wouldn't, wouldn't do any more than that. But he ultimately did throw a hot cup of coffee at his mother. And he would have to fight those spirits. And he had to fight those spirits because they were not good spirits. And he had to fight them so that the good spirits could be okay. So, yeah, she's fighting something, except my sister doesn't know any martial arts, so she didn't pose any danger to anything. Her delusion was that uh, there was actually a real city, Vancouver City Councilor, that's the villain in her delusion. And he believed that was his job, and he was, he called it he, that he's a dissipator. And he actually believed that he was, that was his job, and he always told me he works really, really hard at it. In, in family and, and in friendship, you know, they, they put the blame on the, the individual. Well, why can't he help himself? And I always say to them, well, you wouldn't expect somebody with a broken leg to walk to the hospital. I mean, they can't get there by themselves. So when a person is dealing with a mental health crisis, they need help immediately, as we just heard. The person may be experiencing symptoms of psychosis or of depression. It can be extremely difficult to know what to do next for the person witnessing this, including parents, siblings, or even for a person just walking down the street. This is usually the time we think of calling the police for support, but we're scared, scared of what might happen to the person we love. We don't want them to go to jail. We don't want them to get hurt. We just don't know what to do. My guest today is Sergeant Kara Thompson. Sergeant Thompson comes from a social work background and uses her experience to not only help people affected by mental illness, but also to educate her colleagues. She spent the last 12 years working in the RCMP's Police Mental Health Outreach Team. This is the team that answers police-related mental health and addiction calls for services and staff involved with CAR 67 with the Surrey RCMP. Today, we'll look again at where mental illness and the criminal justice system interact. Sergeant Thompson, welcome to Look Again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
So we just heard about your role with the Surrey RCMP. Tell us a little bit more about what you do and more of your background. Well, what I do right now is that I run the Surrey Police Mental Health Outreach Team, which is quite a large unit here in Surrey. We specialize in police calls that involve addictions, mental health, and homelessness, like you mentioned. We also have the CAR 6-7 program under my umbrella. But otherwise, uh, we, call, we call ourselves PMOT. Uh, that's our acronym. And uh, we have four watches that cover off seven days a week from 6 a.m. to 1230 a.m. Tell us a little bit more. So I know that there's different regions have different cars, but tell us about car 6-7. So our car is a police officer and a nurse. Uh, they ride every day together uh, from 1 p.m. to 1230. They respond to mental health calls that are coming in live at the time. Basically, they aim to do a more specialized response. Now, what happens when an officer receives a call that someone is experiencing a mental health crisis and behaving violently? And please walk us through the entire process. So we try to get as much information before going to the file. Our frontline or general duty will attend that call first to ensure that it is safe for the nurse to attend. Uh, even though the nurse is coming with a police officer, if it's a call for violence, it's gonna get a large response. Whether or not the person has mental illness or not, if there's any kind of violence, many police officers are gonna come. When our officer gets there with the nurse uh, or without the nurse, our officer is still gonna try to deescalate the situation by by developing rapport. If the person's able to discuss their crisis, we can try to talk to them about their options. This might be contacting a social worker or other support to come and meet with them. Or sometimes it does result in going to the hospital to speak to the doctor if that's required. I often would explain to the client that I'm apprehending them for their safety because I have concerns and that we're going to go to the hospital and it's going to be up to the doctor to make the decision about what's going to happen, if they're going to be released or if they're going to have a hospital stay. I try to let the client know they're not in trouble. They don't have to go to court. You know, I try to talk about this being a medical issue. And then I instruct them that we're going to go to the hospital and that I will stay there with them until they see the doctor and a decision is made. And Sergeant, uh, you mentioned earlier that a lot of the work you do is making sure that RCMP officers follow those best practices when dealing with people who are mentally ill. I would love to hear your thoughts on what some of those best practices are and how do you work with your members to ensure that they are in fact observed? I think that a best practice would be to know that the officers who are attending a mental health related call has some mental health awareness training and possibly even advanced crisis intervention skills if it is a specialized unit such as ours or a police mental health liaison officer because there are many, but usually they're working by themselves in detachments. Um, so I believe that the training is important um, in simple subjects like communication and being able to use active listening skills, using closed ended questions. You know, I think that people might not think that police need these skills, but these are very important in these kind of calls. Another best practice that I like to see is that uh, when the police, when the member's writing up the file, that they're after the situation, they're putting in as much detail that they can on the client. So on the risk level, the outcomes, what worked, what didn't, um, because I believe that this is going to assist the next officer that's going to come in to possibly have the same situation. The other best practice is collaboration. 
As police officers, we know that we're probably not the right people to be there dealing with these situations. We know that these calls would be better suited with the client having a social worker or a nurse or an outreach worker to talk to if there's no safety concerns. So by collaborating with all these different partners, um, we're hoping to divert clients away from not only the hospital, but the criminal justice system um, so that we can connect them with a counselor or doctor who can see and keep them in the community. Yeah, well said. And that's where CAR 67 would be such a valuable asset because, as you said, then we have the nurse in addition to the frontline police officer on site at that time. Definitely, yes. You're listening to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a podcast brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and BC Partner Organizations. I'm your host, Phaedra Aldridge. This podcast would not be possible without the support of the entire community. From the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank you for caring about mental illness. Together, we truly can make a difference. And we're back with Sergeant Kara Thompson from the Surrey RCMP. Sergeant Thompson, before we get started again, I want you to listen to this clip. It is a father speaking from our family panel, which is a panel made up of people whose loved ones have schizophrenia. We asked him to talk about what he would have done differently, if he could go back in time, in regards to his son's illness. Let's take a listen now. You certainly can't do it by yourself. Um, and even though you know that, I, looking back, I guess is the only way I could do it, is that I would probably would have somehow got because ultimately it was the court systems that, that got him diagnosed. I ultimately would have probably got the police involved in, in some form earlier um, because I, I know now that you, you need help to get into the system and, and you, can't help, you can't help your individual, you can't help your child or your partner or whomever it is, you can't help them without the system helping you. It's, it's not possible. So he stated, I would have asked for police involvement earlier. What goes through your mind when you hear that statement? That is encouraging because I do believe that there are many police officers who are out there doing mental health liaisons in all sorts of detachments, small Vernon, Kelowna, you know, to Richmond. And I know a lot of them very well, having been in this policing field uh, for so long. And I know that that's the goal is that people can call and get the assistance they need and it's going to be seen as a positive. So you were just talking about police officers and the power that they have and perhaps we need to have within our society when dealing with a mental illness and, and a crisis situation. But as you and I both know, some people are quite vocal about calling for the police to have less power. What are your thoughts on this? I don't think a different response is possible in terms of mental health calls. As I'd mentioned, they're, they're very unpredictable. And we're very concerned about putting nurses or social workers at harm's way if it is a violent call. Um, that's why I like we, I mentioned we have a, a constable go first and, and make sure the area is safe before the other police officer and nurse attend, right? So we want to 
extra make sure that the nurses are safe. Sending out just a nurse or just a, like, I don't want to say just a nurse or just so sort of, but say that kind of response, they don't have the powers to apprehend somebody under Section 28, first of all. So they have to be able to follow community model. Second of all, they might not have the background information on the person that they're going to be going to see. And they also don't have any perhaps safety abilities to take care of themselves, uh, you know, if, if the situation does turn violent, because it can. Would it be better if, if the nurses and social workers could attend all these calls? Of course. But I think that having the police there to ensure the safety of the nurse and the client, it can lead to the best outcome that's going to happen in that hard situation. So what message would you say to parents uh, you know, a sibling, a grandmother whose loved one is experiencing a crisis and they're debating whether to call police or not. I would hope that families aren't afraid to call the police because the police are there to help. If a call to the police is necessary, as I had mentioned before, providing the dispatcher with as much information and, and your concerns and the history and the medications. So the more information a police officer has before going to the calls, not only will that help the police officer, but hopefully it, it will be directed to an officer who has abilities in that area, who has you know communication skills and who has the motivation to help in this type of field. So Sergeant Thompson, I sense a lot of passion when you're talking about this topic. So I'm curious, what got you into this line of work and what keeps you here? You know, I think I was just tired of seeing people being treated differently because they had mental illness. And I, I started, as you mentioned, as a social worker before. So I've worked in, uh, I've worked in mental health. I've worked in uh, women's shelters. I've worked in custody facilities. So I've done all those. And, and I just found that, you know, the most vulnerable people, uh, the, the people who needed the most help were people with mental illness. And I just wanted to see how I could fit into that because, I, you know, I know that, again, it can it can happen to anybody. Anybody can have mental illness. And something I thought was that I want people with mental illness not to be stigmatized or feel that they have to be embarrassed about their condition because I figure they have enough to worry about already. And what keeps me going, too, is when I do hear about those negative files, when I do hear about the files that have gone wrong, that I want to be part of changing that outcome in the future for both the clients and the officers involved so that everybody can leave that file and leave that situation safely. So if you had a magic wand and could make change happen today, Sergeant, what changes would you make to the system? I would like to see more training. I would like to see more partners being embedded into our programs. Some communities have something called the ACT program where there there are, it's a multidisciplinary team that all work together every day. Like, I think there should be more of those kind of teams. I can't say that a nurse with every police officer, because that's obviously not realistic and it's not always needed, but a few more would be nice so that we can cover, like Surrey's a very large area and it is difficult for us to be able to cover the whole city at once. So if I had a magic wand, I, I would at least give our unit more nurses with our members and that would be, that would be a good start. What keeps you going? What gives you the hope that we will be able to get to that system that you just described? I know it's going to sound kind of cheesy, but 
Like I'm, you know, I guess middle age now and, you know, I've been in the mental health field totally, like probably for 25 years. Now when I see the young constables who are coming into my unit and they're like early 20s, mid 20s, and to me they seem really young, <laughs> but to see their passion and their interest in understanding people with mental illness or in their interest in taking more training to be able to go out there, like they keep me going. It's them out there doing the work and I'm just trying to guide them, right? So I've taken on a bit of a different role now. I've stepped back a little bit from the front line, but I'm really proud of my team all the time. Like they're always out there trying to make a difference um, or else they wouldn't be in my team. Like they have to apply to be in this team. And I am really happy with this next, let's say the next generation maybe of police that are coming up and that they are, they are more interested in, in these kind of skills. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Sergeant Thompson. I learned a lot and I so appreciate the fact that you were transparent and very candid about why you got involved in the work that you are and what we as a society can do about it. So thank you so much for joining me today. We will be sure to post all of the relevant links that we talked about today from our conversation on our website, bcss.org slash look again. Sergeant Thompson, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and the BC Partners for Mental Health and Substance Use Information. We're a group of nonprofit agencies providing good quality information to help individuals and families maintain or improve their mental well-being. The BC Partners members are Anxiety Canada, BC Schizophrenia Society, Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research, Canadian Mental Health Association's BC Division, Family Smart, Jesse's Legacy, the North Shore Family Services Program, and Mood Disorders Association of BC, a branch of Lookout Housing and Health Society. The BC Partners are funded and stewarded by BC Mental Health and Substance Use Services, an agency of the Provincial Health Services Authority. For more information, visit heretohelp.bc.ca. 